Good morning, everybody. My name's Maddie Simpson. For those of you who don't know me, I'm um, married to James, and we have three children, and I'm training for ordination. I'd love to say if anyone knows a legal reason why I should stop now. <laughs> it's not too late. <laughs> uh, it's good to be with you this morning. I'm sure we pray before, before we look at the word together. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we thank you for your story. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for your living, active presence with us today. I pray, Father God, that by your Holy Spirit, you would come alive to us again in the words that I say. And uh, may we receive everything that you would like to share with us of yourself this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. So, um, yeah, it's my privilege today to open up a new series that we're doing on Ruth. Um, it's a very short book in the Bible, only four chapters long, so we're going to be looking at it over four weeks, which means we get a very meaty text today, which is why I'd like you to hold it open. We're going to uh, dig into it. Um, and before I begin, I just want to um, highlight the notes that Nicola has put together uh, and they, that covers all sorts of things we're going to be touching on a little bit today and through the series, but I commend it to you if you want to go a bit deeper or just drill down a little bit into the details and background uh, to the book. But since I only have about 10 minutes or so with you this morning, I'm going to go light on some of that background material and focus on a few things. Um, some things, I think, which tend to get missed in this story. Things, I hope, which might surprise us um, and which I hope will comfort and encourage us because those of you who've been Christians for any length of time probably know this story back to front you might not but you might you might know it as the story of uh, the sort of angelic Ruth and her mother-in-law and their trials but that wonderful story of, of uh, faithfulness and friendship um, but basically uh, just to before we begin um, and just to touch on some of that background very lightly the first sentence says, when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and uh, Elimelech and Naomi set off. And you need to know, be aware of what comes before that in the book of uh, Judges. And in the book of um, Judges, they have a, a number of uh, rulers, no king, and Israel is a mess. It's, it's really lost. And um, it, over the period of the book of uh, Judges, frequently, we get this recurring theme and it goes like this, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And Moab, what, what happens is that Israel wanders, it, it mingles with foreign women, it doesn't do what the Lord has asked them to do, and they end up losing their faith time and again, worshipping foreign gods. And it just goes on and on and on and on. And Moab is involved in that. Moab is an enemy of Israel. They've got history that goes way back to the Exodus when Moab didn't provide any uh, food or water for them as Israel was coming out of Egypt. And then Moab curses uh, Israel through Balaam. You might remember that story. They, they pay for somebody to curse the nation of Israel. Meanwhile, Israel, in the book of Joshua, which precedes Judges, uh, Israel has been sort of invading and conquering their territory. So the two nations are absolutely like this. They hate each other's guts, basically. And that's what you need to know when we hear that Naomi and her family are moving to Moab. Okay? It's not a good situation. 
history repeating itself. Um, as Israel sort of, you know, has had this history of making war uh, on its enemies. And so it should come as no surprise uh, for us, just preceding the book of Ruth, as we read in the last verse of Judges, in those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. They've, they've sort of lost their faith, they've lost their way, and they don't really know what they're doing. Regularly drawn to apostasy, and that's, that's how we launch into the book of Ruth. And I think it's important to keep that specific thing in mind, because we might miss some things. We know it, this story of Ruth, as a story of love, and of self-giving, and piety, and friendship. But I want to propose that there are some other things here which might surprise us. Things like doubt, things like loss, things like hopelessness, and possibly even faithlessness. And I think these are some of the things that Scripture records for us in Ruth chapter 1, so that you and I don't come to an end like the one we've just read about in Judges. Kingless, hopeless, doing whatever we feel like, because we struggle to believe that God is faithful or because we struggle to believe in any kind of God at all. So I hope that even as we touch upon these sorts of things, um, you'll find some hope and comfort because it's real people, not the best people, not the best people who win God's favor, but real people with real faults and real wounds. And it's these people who have a stake in what God is doing. So I want us to learn some things. I want you to look at the booklet. But really what I want us to have today is to hear from God and what he's saying to you. Now, as I've already mentioned, we know this as a story of Ruth's incredible devotion to Naomi. And we've heard a little bit of that in chapter one. But you're going to go into that a lot more in the coming weeks. So I want to focus on Naomi. Because we get a window on her life when it's basically at its worst. Verse 1, a famine in Bethlehem forces Naomi, her husband Elimelech, and their two sons to move. They don't want to move, they're forced to move. And to their shame, they go to Moab, a place where they'll probably find food because there was rich land for grain and grazing. It was well known as a place that was rich in that way, uh, and unlike mismanaged Bethlehem, suffering famine, they're probably going to fill their bellies, but they're bound to be hated, because remember, Moab hates Israel's guts, and Israel doesn't love Moab, and in fact, in Deuteronomy, Moses has told Israel expressly not to make friends with Moab. Do not make a covenant of friendship with them. Stay away from them. Don't go near there. So it's a risky business moving to Moab. They're moving from one bad situation to another differently bad situation. And things don't get better. They get worse. In verse 3, we read that Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies in Moab. That would seem to be something of a curse, wouldn't it? Naomi is now a widow with all the negative status that that carried in the culture at the time. And then we're told in verse 4 that in Moab, Naomi's sons marry Moabite women. That would seem to be something of a worry, given how it went for people who mingled with and married foreigners in the book of Judges. 
Then in a span of 10 years, we read, her sons and these foreign wives don't produce any children. And that would seem to be something of a curse as well, wouldn't it? What's going on there? What is Naomi carrying? How is she feeling in all these circumstances, knowing what's at risk moving to Moab, knowing how it's gone for her people before, as Israel ventured away from the promised land, mingled with foreign people, married into them, lost their faith? What do you think she's feeling? That's exactly what's happened to Naomi. Naomi and her family have moved away from the uh, promised land into enemy territory. They've married into a foreign clan, which was expressly forbidden. Basically, as I read it, there's only one more step before the cycle repeats itself, that repeating history, and they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The worship of a foreign god, it's the only thing that's missing in her life story at this point. All the other elements are there. And I just wonder whether in her desolation this isn't crossing Naomi's mind. Maybe you know that feeling. You've been so hurt and so broken and so apparently left by God, ignored, that you honestly feel like jacking your faith in or looking for your comfort somewhere else. I wonder if you know that feeling. And whether or not we know that she's contemplating this, uh, I I think she is, weighing up her doubts and her uncertainties about God. She mourns her losses on the journey back to Bethlehem with with, uh, Ruth and Orpah. And she says to them in verse 11, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? That's where we get to in the middle of this chapter. Why would you come with me? What she's saying is, I have absolutely nothing to offer you. No husband of my own, no sons to offer as husbands for you, and no surety anymore that God will deliver anything good for us again. Have you ever felt like that? I know that for me, there have been a number of times when I felt so bereft, I couldn't think, never mind pray, and been struck by the cruelty of God, what it seemed like in my own life. My dad uh, died when I was 28, suddenly, of a stroke. I was living in Canada at the time. He was here. He dropped dead one morning. I hadn't seen him for 18 months. I was due to fly home a week later to see him and be with my family for Christmas. What are you meant to do with that? And I was studying theology at the time. What, what does that mean? Before that happened, I was pregnant a couple of years before. Surprise, great news. I miscarried the child on Christmas Day. What's that supposed to mean? If you believe in a loving God. With all the, the meaning and significance of Christmas, what does it mean to lose someone precious? And on a day like Christmas, some of these questions just linger and hold us and stay with us. Why would you come with me, Ruth? In the last eight years, I've moved house eight times. I've seen my second child nearly die in hospital. She was admitted to hospital five times in the first eight weeks of her life. And we carry these things. It is more bitter for me than for you. Naomi says to Ruth 
and Orpah in verse 13, because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. And that's how she feels. I wonder if she's thinking, am I doing something wrong here, God? Naomi's aware that everything in her circumstances points to God against her. Maybe she's feeling guilty for having left Bethlehem in the first place. Maybe she feels guilty for letting her boys marry Moabites. A buildup of all this residual guilt. If only I'd done this, been better, prayed harder, been a bit gooder. Really, really bitter. And guilt and grief combined make for a pretty desperate situation. And I just want to pause here for a moment and give space for this very real response to real life. Feeling bitter, feeling desperate. In verse 14, Orpah weeps and Orpah leaves. Why wouldn't she? Look, Naomi says to Ruth in verse 15, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go with her. This, I think, is where the cycle of moving away from God comes to a head. Are we going to read in this story that once again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord? Is history going to repeat itself again here? Orpah and Ruth returning to their gods, Naomi completely indifferent to which God they worship, giving up hope, giving up faith. Is that what we're going to read next? And the answer is no, because it's God's story, not ours. And the response Naomi gets from Ruth is God's response to all of us. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And in a stunning twist, Ruth, the Moabite, the forbidden foreign wife, turns out to be the biggest blessing to Naomi. And it is Ruth who shows us a measure of God's faithfulness to us. I've brought here a couple of books. This is the story of my dad's life. I didn't know how much God's story was written into my own until my brother put this book together last year as a 10th anniversary celebration. It's available on, available on Amazon, not in any other bookshops. <laughs> it's called Messiah's Handle, because he wasn't Handel's Messiah. He was Messiah's Handle. And it's by Francis Woods, my brother, God's story. And the other one is this, which Nicola touches on in her notes. Um, I read about the story of Anthony Ray Hinton, uh, in, a, in a Guardian article published in the week. And I've just finished reading this last week. It's called The Sun Does Shine. Anthony Ray Hinton spent 30 years on death row for a crime he didn't commit. In utter bleakness. 30 years on death row. And it's a wonderful story and I commend it to you. But the other amazing thing about this story and which fits the story we're talking about here is his friend, Lester Bailey, visited him at every visiting time, firstly every week, then every month, for 30 years, he didn't miss one visiting day. It was a seven-hour round trip. And his friend Lester was faithful like that to him. So it's the story of Anthony Ray Hinton, but it's the story of a love like Lester's and a love like Ruth and a love, folks, 
like God's. Naomi goes through famine, moving home, losing her husband and children, and is left with no family, heirs, or future to look forward to. But it's Ruth who willingly forfeits all the things Naomi has lost in order to show love to her. And I feel like a useless friend by comparison. But what friendship? Ruth, remember, as she walks back to Bethlehem, gives up her home, gives up a future among her own people in Moab. She says goodbye to her own parents to go to Bethlehem, a place where she is now bound to be hated. And to go with Naomi, where Naomi has nothing to offer her, no prospects, no means of saying thank you. The extraordinary thing, I think, about Ruth, as she clings to Naomi, and the extraordinary thing about God as he clings to us, is that she loves the empty, desolate, elderly, hopeless, futureless, guilty Naomi, like she's the best thing in her life. She loves her more than anything Moab holds out. She loves her more than anything Bethlehem holds out by way of shame or oppression or any kind of lack of opportunity that is facing her there. It's in these desperate, hopeless circumstances that love proves itself. God's love for us and actually our love for God because Ruth will cling to this one person and this one hope and this one comfort. And I want to ask us today, who is your Naomi? Can you let God be your one hope, your one comfort? And who is your Ruth? Can you let God love you like that? Because the question isn't whether or why Ruth and Orpah would go with Naomi, but why would God come with us? Why would God journey with us? The story of Ruth and Naomi, I think, is a story of God's continued and unswerving faithfulness to us and to his own plans, in spite of the disasters and griefs and desolations we experience, in spite of our doubts. And he cannot be unfaithful to himself because he is a God of love. And this is what I found when I read, when I read this book. I found stuff out about my father I never knew. found stuff out about myself that I never knew that tie in God's story with my own story and with my ancestors and all sorts of things. It is such a big temptation to think that our salvation depends on us getting it right when in fact it depends on God and on the cross. We feel like God will give up on us if we let him down. But scripture says God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God never gives up on us, even when we're at the brink. Naomi comes this close to giving up, of absolutely not caring one way or the other anymore, not caring where she ends up, not caring who worships who or what. Why would God come with us? Because he loves you and he has chosen you. Don't urge him to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, he will go. And where you stay, God will stay. Where you die, Jesus has already died. And there he was buried and he is risen. And he says to his father in heaven, 
May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything separates us from the love of God again. Amen.